anywhere from Tigerland. In any weather you will see us with a grin, risking head and skin. If we're behind, then never mind, we'll fight and fight and win for we're from Tigerland. G'day everybody and welcome to the grand final edition of Tiger Tragics. I never thought I would be saying that this year, but how good is this? My name is Mitchell Scott. I first of all say hello to Carl Bianco, who is with me in the studio. G'day, Mitchell. What a time to be alive. It's fantastic. And Tony Shebecki joins us on the line from sunny Port Douglas, where it's very balmy up there. I think that's a great omen. G'day, Shebex. Hey, boys. How are you? Yep, I had to get away from uh, all the hype. I was as quick as a dog <laughs> last week, just watching and seeing and reading all the media about Richmond and GWS Giants. So I thought grand final week's going to be worse. So I said to the family, let's go. We're heading away up far north where there won't be any AFL at all. And uh, let's just get away from it all. So coming back Friday night. Well, it is. Uh, it is right, we're broadcasting here right from the very heart of Richmond here in the SEN studios where it is officially Tiger time. There are streamers everywhere. There are posters everywhere. If you look at the front of the SEN studios here, KB's big ugly mug has been plastered everywhere saying it's Tiger time on every single window. You walk down the streets here in Richmond and there's just murals everywhere and pe- people painting their fences yellow and black. It's a very, very special time to be a Richmond supporter. And uh, before we sort to get into a few of the issues and go in depth. I just want to ask you guys, uh, Carl, first, what does it mean to you to to have this team in a grand final? Unbelievable. Like, I'm just ecstatic of, about the whole situation. If you go back to 12 months ago, I mean, I, I went to the extent of actually calling Finey up, just going backtracking. After we won, I called Finey up on yeah. the final, so I don't have a chat to him. I was that happy about it. But we go back 12 months, and no one would have even imagined that we would have been in, a, in the finals, as Damien Hardley predicted, let alone a grand final. So, uh, I mean, we always keep the faith in, in, in Richmond and what they're able to do, but no one could have really seen us in a grand final. Like, it's just, it's unbelievable, but it's fantastic. And I'm just, as as Damien Hardwick says, you've got to embrace it. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm just embracing it. It's a very easy feeling to embrace. It's foreign territory for myself. Shebex, uh, what does it mean to you to see this mighty team, this team that we love, going to be running out there on Saturday on the last day, in, last Saturday in September? Well, I was born 50 years ago, boys, in 1967 when Richmond beat Geelong. Uh, went through the 70s, saw a couple of premierships as a youngster there, so I don't really remember them. It was at the 1980 grand final premiership win uh, against Collingwood, then record margin, 81 points, standing in the Ponsford stand on a couple of cans trying to watch over people. <laughs> those were the days. There was no seats in those days. It was just all a concrete ramp, basically. And uh, then 82, I remember that dearly as well, or not that dearly, but the fact that we lost to Carlton. And then it's been a very long drought between then. So to have that drought broken is just, you're right. It, we, we have kept the faith, Carl. I totally agree with you. Mm. Having said that, though, I reckon 98% of the uh, Richmond population and football population at the same time all thought, well, that's the end of Damien Hardwick last year when he said we'll make finals. As soon as he made that comment, we all thought, oh, that's it. He's put his balls on the line. He's, uh, he's gone. How can that happen? And look at where we are now. We're in a grand final. We are. What, a, what an amazing transformation from him and this team in a 12-month period. They were uh, they were pretty much done and dusted at the end of last year and looked like they were a broken, broken side. And the work that's been done on this uh, team over the summer and the uh, ability to instill the confidence that they can win and the ability to still instill the confidence of a, a new game plan. Uh, of, of course, the, you know, the guys at the club might have been thinking to themselves at the time, well, hang on, we've tried a, a game plan that didn't work. Why is this going to be any better? So for the coach to be able to get them to believe in him and that game plan has been an amazing effort by him and the leadership team. And uh, full credit to everyone that's uh, played a part of it 
inside those walls of Punt Road. I think everyone from uh, you know from pre- from President Peggy O'Neill to Brendan Gale to you know Neil Baum comes in to um, you know we restructured the coaching uh, department there. Everyone deserves some sort of kudos to this, and um, you know as long-suffering Tigers supporters, I think that's almost you know the the way you just about introduce every Tiger supporter as long-suffering. Um, to be in this position is. It's such foreign territory, particularly for people of our gener- of, of the younger generation who, you know, you know we, we, we hadn't seen really finals wins aside from, you know, the odd one here and there. And we've broken this drought of finals wins. And, you know, now we're winning big games. Now we're, we, this is literally territory that I had no idea how to feel about going into it. I think, like, I think there was a lot of people who they sort of always dreamt of what's it going to feel like when Richmond makes it into a grand final. And, um, you know, I, I loved on Saturday night going through the social media feeds and seeing the footage of, you know, there's people like, you know, I, I, Francis Leach's son, Dylan, long-suffering Tiger supporter as well, yeah. you know, bawling his eyes out, hugging his mate. I thought personally, you know, I, I, I thought maybe, you know, am I going to break down crying one day when Richmond gets there? I didn't, which I was surprised at, maybe because of the nature of the game we had so long to kind of get used to it. But it was just ecstatic, um pure uh, unadulterated happiness um, and we've been riding the wave. The other thing is we're a little bit unlucky to the extent that we had the opportunity of living through the Bulldogs fans finally getting to a grand final and winning it last year. So because that that experience has been sort of shared by the Bulldogs fans and what that was like, coming into this year I think we all had we all knew what to expect a little bit yeah. about having that opportunity of not being in a grand final for so long. The Bulldogs, obviously, it was a lot longer. But if it had, a, if the Bulldogs hadn't got there last year, this would have been absolute foreign territory for everyone. So yep. I think we're just a little bit unlucky that we've sort of had that, that sort of shine or you know that mystique just taken away a little bit. Well, it's uh, it's certainly something that I think we're all we're all going to embrace here, and we're going to go we're going to look at the game very shortly and look at a bit last week. But first of all, uh, you know, the major news of this morning uh, recording here on a Tuesday morning is that as we predicted, as we expected, Dustin Martin has uh, been named the 2017 Brownlow medalist. A record 36 votes, uh, 11 best on ground performances in that. That's also a record. Uh, no surprises. I think we were probably, in terms of Dustin winning, I think maybe we were surprised at how close Dangerfield was to him in the end, that it was only the three votes off, and he did, but he did have the asterisks next to it. Was anyone nervous watching the count last night as to whether they thought, oh, geez, Danger's going to finish ahead of him in the end and it's going to be like Robert Harvey all over again? Or were we all pretty comfortable that he was going to get through and be the, be the lone ranger out front? Uh, I, look, I, I thought that Danger might get him uh, in, in regards to most stuff and was always going to win uh, because of the, the suspension, obviously, and Danger had a fantastic year. So if he had have got him, I think, you know, that would have been, uh, that would have been valid. I mean, we would have all accepted that, the fact that he did have such a good year. But the thing was, it was important to Dusty, and we heard in his speech in probably what was one of the best and greatest Brownlow medal speeches ever. Uh, unfortunately, involved Bruce McEvaney <laughs> happened on a fair bit, but it was uh, special. Oh God, blimey! How, what did you? He was creeping Dusty. over him in those last oh, couple of rounds. What was with that? When he put his hand on his back, I've just I've, look, I've just said, to the, "Don't touch him! <laughs> Don't touch him!" Oh, it was very strange. But anyway, Dusty got through it, and he did say in his speech. But it was important to him that he at least beat Patrick, uh, Pete Dangerfield by at least a vote. So it was genuinely his Brownlow. And, uh, yeah, it would have been interesting, actually, because we would have had then two Brownlows that are sort of were clouded in uh, controversy with, of course, Koch winning his after the handing back of Joe's. And then, you know, Dusty might have been second but still win. So it would have been interesting to see how that one played out. But, no, he won all on his own. 
amazing, wasn't it? 11 best on grounds, a second best on ground and, and a one vote as well. It's just, she was that is just an ultimate performance, isn't it? 13, 13 games he voted in out of, 20, out of 21. And I reckon he was stiff in a couple there as well. Um, you know, I know, I know everyone was talking this morning about, you know, there was a particular game where Dangerfield had 30-odd and kicked a couple of goals and didn't poll the vote, which was, I think, round 22, I think, against Collingwood. Dusty had a couple of games there where he he pulled the 32 and kicked two and, um, you know, could have easily polled a vote against Hawthorne, for example, in round 20, didn't poll the vote. There were a couple the umpires just caught the head of him. That's the luck of the draw, I guess, isn't it? Um, at the, it isn't a perfect science, you know, being a Brownlow uh, voter, it, it is how the umpires see it, and you know stats aren't necessarily everything. It's all about game influence and just how how they see it. Um, Carl, can you think of a more deserving winner than Dustin Martin's performance this year of a Brownlow? No, not really. He, he was the fairest and the best. Like he's just been that far above everybody, I reckon. And look, unfortunately for Danger, he uh, was ineligible, but he definitely demonstrated that he's second best. Uh, and then Tom Mitchell wasn't too far behind either. But uh, they were the top three players in the competition, by far the most talked about players in the competition. You look at any article, oh, Mitchell's got 50. He got 50, I'm pretty sure, throughout the year. It was 49, 50. Um, Disposals a couple of times. Yeah, a yeah, couple of times. He was incredible for, for those efforts. Uh, Danger, obviously, being the Brownlow medalist last year and this year, fronting up the first, I, I believe Bruce said last night, famously, uh, Dangerfield is the first player in AFL-VFL history to poll 30-plus votes two years in a row consecutively. So he breaks that record, and credit to him as well for being such a great footballer and being able to do that. But Dusty, at the end of the day, 36 votes, all-time AFL-VFL Brownlow uh, votes record. And, yeah, look, congrats to Dusty. He really deserves it. And not not to discredit Koch on, on the way he got his Brownlow, but we've actually got a Brownlow medalist that's well and truly deserved and earned their yeah. Brownlow. Yeah. There's no question marks over it. And, no. Um, I did, it, uh, you know, you're talking about foreign territory this week and, you know, it's foreign territory for us supporters. Yeah. It was foreign territory for Dusty last night as well. Exactly. Um, being on the waters at a function, like, that's not Dusty's, <laughs> that's not his territory. He had to get up, you know, make a speech without having, you know, as he said in his speech, he would have preferred to have put about half a dozen beers before before getting up and doing that. Um, I lo- I did like, you mentioned his speech before, Shebex. I did like it. I felt we got to know, we, you know, the, we, the more we do, are seeing him as he it seems to be having to make a speech every week as he accepts some sort of um, award, we are getting to know the Dustin Martin, the, the, the Richmond players and everyone rave about a little bit more, that he is just a, he is a pretty humble, shy kid. I, I get the feeling that I can see why him and Dane Swan uh, get along so well, not just yeah. because, not just because of the obvious, you know, they like a good time, but... Um, you know, Swanee's a pretty laid-back, laconic um, sort of guy who, uh, you know, but he's a larrikin, but he's an extrovert. So, he, you know, he gets on Twitter last night, he takes over, then he's cracking gags. He, he can, he, Swanee's happy to get up in front of a crowd and crack gags and have a bit of a good time. I reckon Dusty, th- there's a lot of Dusty in, in that as well, except he's an introvert. So he's not, he's around a, a comfortable um, sort of uh, environment, he would be that sort of a person. But, you know, standing up in the front of a room in front of 800 people, and you know millions watching on TV is not really his go, but um, you know he, he to his credit he got up there and you know gave a bit of himself. And this morning he's fronted the media again, and he's just getting a little bit more comfortable. And uh, you know I think you know God knows he might make a Norm Smith medal speech on Saturday. Who knows? Wouldn't that just be a fantastic effort if he did? I'll tell you what though, can I give three votes for best on ground? From the Brownlow? From the Brownlow. Yes. Uh, Jack Fitzpatrick on the Hawthorne table. How'd he get an invite? That's what I wanted to know. Was he someone's date? 
Oh, well, he must. He might have been Tom Mitchell's date. Must have. He kept on kissing him. He, that's your right. I did kiss. I know Jack Fitzpatrick very, very well. I coached him as a junior at the, the Wyndham Vale Football Club, and love the kid. He's just absolutely fantastic. But gee, where's Jack? Oh boy! Oh boy! Well done to Jack Fitzpatrick, and as well on you know on a fantastic career that unfortunately has been cut short. Got the most out of himself, uh, you know, at two at two football clubs who who took a punt, and, and well done to him. Uh, the other big talking point of yesterday um, was uh, the match review panel, and we were all sweating for forty five for forty eight hours there on uh, Trent Cotchin, and you know to a lesser extent Brandon Ellis, but certainly our captain Trent Cotchin. Uh, and whether he was going to be eligible to play in the grand final this week. And uh, fortunately for us, the gods seem to have shone down on Tiger time again, and uh, he's been cleared. Were you were you always comfortable that he would be cleared? You know, not just on a gut feeling of, uh, you know, they're not going to rule out a captain, but did you always feel like that it was the right decision for them to, to make him okay to, and cleared him to play? Well, can I just start at the top? To David Swartz, to Mark Allen, to anyone else at SEN or in the media, that wants to change the MRP, how dare you? The MRP's working perfectly. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I think when we're getting the results like we did yesterday, I 100% agree with you. <laughs> no, and that was a bit flippant. Uh, look, I was a little bit concerned because you just you honestly do not know. Uh, what my major concern was the fact that he already had the two strikes over his head and they may have deemed it as low impact and the like with the $1,000 fine. Well, unfortunately, that carries a third strike and he would have been out. That was my major concern. I didn't think he was going to be rubbed out for the incident, but I just thought that by proxy he may have been, had he have got just a fine. That was my worst gut feeling on the whole thing. But I thought in regards to the incident itself, I don't think it warranted weeks because they were both generally going for the ball. And we're, you know, we, we are genuinely uh, thrilled that that's how the MRP found. It's funny, on sat- Saturday, I must have flip-flopped about five times on it. Saturday at halftime during the game, I finally saw a replay of it for the first time, and I went, ah... Oh. He's going the ball, surely. Like, that's mm. nothing to worry about. Meanwhile, some commentary around was already starting to go that, oh, look, he might be in a spot of bother. Then you see the camera angle from the other side of the ground, from the southern stand side, and you see him, and you see it in slow motion. And your heart goes in your mouth because, as you saw in, the, in that footage, he comes in, his arm sort of tucks in that little bit. You know, it all looks like it goes for about 10 minutes because of the way they slow it right down. And, yes, the shoulder makes contact initially with, with his jaw. And then watching the replay after in you know in standard time and standard motion, again, you sit there and go, oh, he's going straight for the ball. But then 24 hours of commentary and 1,000 replays later, and I honestly, you know, I, I had, it wouldn't have surprised me either way what they were going to do. I'm glad they found the way they did. Um, Carl, did you, did you have any doubts? Well, it's funny because at halftime, I uh, went to go get some food and I bumped, I bumped into Plough. Plough was uh, not too far, Terry Wallace, he wasn't too far away from where I was at the game. And uh, he said, g'day, mate, how you going? What do you think about this? Because it just showed on the replay screens, Koch going into Shield. I said, oh, look, to be perfectly honest as well, I didn't actually see the incident live. I don't know why I wasn't, I mean, I saw it, but I didn't, you know, I didn't pay too much attention to it. I saw it live, but I didn't think anything of it either. I didn't even know Shield had actually gone off until about halfway through the second quarter. Yeah. I thought he'd broken his arm. I yeah, like he, cl- he sort of clutched at his shoulder, didn't he? He, he yeah. did the same thing a few weeks. Pretty- he played in the game, well, the last game we played against Yeah, yeah, and in the last quarter, he, he did the he, same he, thing. He copped a stinger. He, he, has, he is injury prone in the first place, Shield. Good footballer, don't get me wrong, but he's been injury prone. So if he was to go out and claim, oh, that, you know, his arm was broken or whatever because of Cochin, I would have said that's boulder dash because. Mm-hmm. 
because you actually have a history of injuries and you can't blame Cochin as the last straw. Like, he has not been 100% when he's been playing for GWS. You can back that in, I, right? I'll tell you what I was most upset about. The fact that he came out after the MRP decision and said he felt duped by oh, the system. Via Choco yeah, Williams. No, but it gets better. He came out also and he said that, oh, I'm too concussed and it's going to prevent me from going to the Brownlow medal. Get stuffed, honestly. <laughs> well, that's I don't look medical advice. I'm not one no, of no, the no, but doctors. That's, but that's seriously a joke. That, coming out and saying, "Oh, I'm going to miss the Brownlow medal because I'm still concussed from that knock Cochin had on me." That's come on. There's boundaries. Well, I just I just felt for his partner because she'd bought a dress and everything to come down and the airfares and not no red carpet for you, love. So, well, someone else would have taken her, I'm sure. <laughs> But if he seriously believed that Trent Cochin was the man that concussed him, I cannot understand how he stayed on the field then for another well, ten minutes. Well, he he stayed on the field. He then copped the other knock. Like the question, I suppose, I well, first of all, before I do that, Carl. So, what was Plough's? What did he actually think? Plough thought he was in danger. Yeah, Plough, Plough genuinely thought or he was um and an iron and, saying, "Yeah, I think he's in trouble there." And, and Jared Waitley, who was kind of the godfather of all things MRP, who when it comes down to it, he breaks it down just about better than anyone else. He he um he had his concerns as well. Um, but yeah, as you say, like he, so he gets the knock from Cochin. He continues to play the game. He cops another knock from David Asprey at some point later in the in the game. Um, plays out the first quarter by the end, of, and by quarter time, he's he's rugged up and, and jacketed it up. Now there 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 is look. I'm not going to doubt doctors who who you know who who will diagnose delayed concussion because there are all sorts of forms of it. What I would I, I say and I'm playing devil's advocate here is if Trent Cochin doesn't have that incident do you think he's not playing the rest of the game? Hmm. And I I, I I I'm not saying he 100% contributed to it but I I would say that he must I, I would say in part he, yeah, it's it's to some point, but I don't think that's this is. But the way the tribunal ruled, that didn't matter. It was all about the. It was. It wasn't about the, you know, God uh, bless the MRP for operating the way they did in this circumstance because they didn't just look at outcome. They didn't just look at the outcome and go, player concussed, he's out, get rid of him. Which which we've all been complaining about all year. This is what I find funny about the whole thing. Everyone has rung in on this radio station every week, going. No, get rid of the MRP because all they do is is look at the outcome and go player player X has got a concussion or player X got injured. Get the player off. They all go look at the action rather than in the the outcome. In this circumstance, they looked at the action and determined that yes, Cochin was going solely for the ball. His line was going for the ball. In the contest, yes, Shield gets his hands on the ball first, but Cochin actually wins the ball and gets spills it free, um, and that's why they're all. So I was. Um, thrilled that they did. Now we need that consistency for everything else. Because I suppose the question I posed to both of you, which was posed yesterday, if that incident happened in round um, round six, do you reckon he's? Do you, do you reckon oh, they're ruling the way they did? I, really, I reckon he probably would have got a fine. Yep. Well, and uh, if that had happened, obviously this time he would have missed out. But yeah, uh, it definitely wasn't warranted. Someone missing a grand final on. And that's where I, I, I you know, I think. There has to be that element of common sense here, like, I, I, regardless of Richmond. And you know, we're all you know beating our chest here about it because you know he's our captain and we love the bloke and he's been playing bloody well and should be winning the Gary Ayres medal at the end of this final series. But um, you know, if, if that was if that was any other player, like I'd be in the same boat going, oh, you know, the guy's trying to go for the ball and we're going to rule him out of a grand final for it. Like, please. Um, for the Gary Ayres medal, who's uh, who, who's the likely? Well, you've well, got the Martins, you've got the Cochins, you've got the. The Sloans, you've got... 
Well, looking at the um, looking at the uh, voting from the weekend, if I just open up my email here from Patrick Keane, I don't think Cochin actually got in the best votes because look, I, th- I think they've kept a couple of weeks of it under embargo. But uh, looking at the uh, the release here, if it'll load up here, have you got the Riolis in there? Uh, Daniel Rioli was was spectacular. We'll talk about him in just a tick. Mm. D- from the game on the weekend. Um, Dustin Martin got eight votes and Daniel Rioli got eight votes. Trent Cotchin got seven. Callan Wood, four. Alex Rance, two. And Adam Tomlinson, one. Now, off the top of my head, Dustin Martin also and Trent Cotchin both also polled in the first final. Um, and both teams that are... No team will have played more than three finals. So it's a pretty yeah. level playing field for everyone in terms of the voting. So... Um, Cochin and Martin are certainly the two I think who who are going to be pushing for it from a Richmond perspective and from an Adelaide perspective. Their game on the weekend, uh, Charlie Cameron got nine, Rory Laird eight, Rory Sloan four, Daniel Talia four, Brad Couch three, Tom Lynch one, Paul Seaman one. So a bit of a mixed bag there, but certainly two standouts from a Richmond perspective. Carl, from what you saw on Saturday, Carl on uh, from Daniel Rioli, do you believe that was a uh, third Rioli Norm Smith Medal performance? Had oh. that have been played in the grand final? If that had been the grand final, I reckon you could have backed it in. That would have been uh, certainly Norm Smith worthy. He, he is an absolute superstar, and it seems that he's loving uh, football in September when it matters most. So if he can replicate that next week, I tell you what, it's going to be exciting. Well, just before we jump into the game from last week, on Daniel Rioli, last night he wins the goal of the year. Mm. Um, didn't quite get the the overwhelming negative reaction that Jeremy Howe not winning the mark oh. of the year uh, got, which was you know blew up social media. Wasn't he annoyed, Jeremy? Oh, Howe. You could just see it was like it was like when Ralph Wiggum in The Simpsons. You could see the moment that his heart broke. It was just oh, and rightly so. Jeremy, look, Joe, they're all great marks, but Joe Danaher is a naturally really tall bloke with really long legs. And when he looked, I this is my opinion. When he jumps high, he actually doesn't have to jump that high, and he's got a really big reach. So it, it's deceptive to the eye, but his marks actually look bigger than they are. Whereas Jeremy Howe, small bloke. Um, you know, he was up three stories. Like that, the the, yep. the the photos and the footage didn't do Jeremy Howe's mark justice. The issue is it goes to a, it's a public vote, so it's a popularity contest, and this is probably part of why um, you know I, the system is what it is. And Daniel Rioli has come out in top of the goal of the year, but we have a naturally big supporter base who probably voted him in on that, and I reckon that's the same with Essendon and Joe Danaher that they've just had the biggest supporter base getting behind it. But Daniel Rioli's goal uh, for those who who didn't see it, it's the uh, it was the round three goal against West Coast. Uh, it was a spectacular goal. Uh, he was up against Lance Franklin's run down the wing at Adelaide Oval and uh, also an Eddie Betts special from the pocket up at the Gabba. Um, I thought it was a deserved winner. I, th- I would have been happy if Lance had a won as well. I thought Lance's was really good. But, um, you know, Daniel's goal was, from a, a contest perspective, you know, he contested. People go. People just saw, like, the, the last five seconds of it. When it actually needs to go back through a whole passage of play, he contests two marks. He has three sprint contests. He ducks and weaves around blokes. He keeps the ball in play. He does a little shimmy around someone. He does a one-two handball. He's then running along the boundary uh, and throws it on his boot from an impossible angle in the wet and puts it through. It's about a 20-second play all up rather than just a little five seconds of putting it on the check side. And, you know, that's that's why we love Riolis because they can do things like that. Yeah, well, we said earlier in the year, didn't we, boys? I think we all agreed that uh, for 2017, Daniel was the better of the uh, two Riolis. Cyril obviously had a few injuries. But if he keeps going along that way, I think he's going to surpass Cyril very, very quickly. Well, that, that leads us into Saturday. Four goals from, from Daniel Rioli. And what I... the first, We'll get into the atmosphere and stuff as well, but you're, uh, who did you think was best on? Because it was up... Because 
I had the debate with people in terms of who, you know, Koch and Martin and Rioli are probably the three that you would throw up. But who did you think was the standout? Oh, for me, it was Rioli. I, yeah. I mentioned that. I think he wins the Norm Smith Medal if that performance was in the grand final. So I'll, I'll stick with that for a preliminary final and give him best on ground. I think just his ability to be able to do the things that he did at the times that he did them when they were needed were, uh, were just great. I'd take nothing away from Martin and Koch, and they were spectacular as well and great contributors. But I just think from a young guy with less experience than those two, I think what he turned on was a pretty special uh, effort. And, uh, yeah, no, for me, he was best on. Kicked four goals in important yeah. times. Carl, what did you think? Who was best on for you? I would have said Daniel. I, I honestly think he had uh, a fantastic game. And, and, look, you know, everyone sort of chipped in with the one percenters across the day as well. So, But for me, the standout was Dan. I think he was the difference. And Dusty, you can't go wrong with Dusty. Uh, maybe a tad on the quieter side up until half time. I thought Dusty. Um, but the sec- his second half was pretty strong and, and made a difference as well. So, well, yeah. I agree with you, gentlemen. I thought, you know, in terms of who was the most influential of trying to get the game won for this team and hitting the scoreboard and that sort of thing, I thought it was yeah, Daniel Rioli. Kept us in it with, some, with a couple of spectacular plays and then bobbed up with, you know, in that third quarter, kicked a couple of ripping goals that um, just got the momentum back on our side when everything was going the right way. Um, you know, to, to Dustin Martin, it's interesting his game. He... He spent 61% time forward, which, um, you know, is he, we know he does go forward in, in crucial stages of games. But, um, you know, to, to go 61% of time forward against the club that, you know, you thought its midfield was its absolute strength just goes to show the versatility of the team. And he kicked three goals, including, you know, the, the seal of late in the last quarter, or early in the last quarter, I should say. And, um, you know, I, he just keeps surprising in, in, the, in the way he can influence those big moments of a game. Oh, very much so. And uh, and then you throw Trent Conchin in, just his leadership and his, his ability to get in and win the ball nowadays is just amazing. You back him nearly 95% of the time. You see him going into a pack. You know he's going to come out at the other end, and that's very Gary Ablett-like from Trent Conchin. The amazing thing about Dustin Martin, and I'm going to be honest with this, guys, two or three years ago, I never thought Dustin Martin was a match winner. No, I'm with he you. Would, he would give you a great quarter in a game, but I never, ever saw him as a match winner. I just saw him as a bloke that would have an amazing period of a game, but not a full game. How he's been able to turn that around, and even in his uh, speech last night, the fact that he said, you know, there was uh, a couple of years ago he was told by his manager and his dad and others that he had to pull his head in. Otherwise, that was it. They're not going to look after him. So he has. So there's a, there's a word of warning to every single sports person out there. And we say it so many times. We see these kids in the AFL who mess up after you know, two or three years, and we say... They've only got to do it for five or six years and they can make a fortune. Pull your head in. Get fair income about your footy. Do what you've got to do. And you might not be Justin Martin and you might not get a Brownlow medal, but you, as I tell you what, you can improve your lot and become a much better person and a much better player. And I think that's what Dustin's done. Pulling his head in and his ability now to win a game. He is a genuine 150% match winner. And uh, thank God he's on our side. Isn't it so good to have him on our team? And you're, you're right. Like the, he found, I think he, he matured. 
he found, and, he, and the other thing he found was a tank because he always used to, as you say, he'd play he'd play a brilliant quarter and then he'd fade out of a game and then he'd come back in the end and, and he'd, he'd do something special. Um, last year he sort of developed that tank, but he wasn't impacting a game like he has this year in terms of playing that bit more for, for us. And he was getting little cheapies around the back. Yeah, he racked up the disposals. Yeah, he ran out the game, but he's he wasn't having that sort of influence of set a of, of you know score involvements and goal involvements and that sort of thing. And and then the other person you mentioned there, Trent Cotchin. The, the ferocity of which he is attacking packs now, I, look, it's it's probably the, it's probably been the case all year. But certainly in the finals, it's like he's been out to prove all the doubters wrong. I, it's just it's a gear that I didn't know whether he had it in him or not. That I always thought, you know, Trent Cotchin, you know, he's a, he's a lovely fella, and he, you know, he's the sort of ca- captain you take home to mum. But I just didn't know if he had that real mongrel to drag a team over the line. And you know, there's a couple of passages of play where he's. He he he's come off the contest. He's run forty meters and laid a tackle to get the guy over the over the boundary line, and then he run, and then he keeps running and gets off to the the bench. He, he attacks a contest and then he and then he, he attacks again and he puts Josh Kelly on the ground, wins the ball, holding the ball. It's stuff from Trent Cochin we haven't I don't think we've seen before, certainly no. to this consistency. And um, you talk about leaders stepping up in September. He has been nothing short of spectacular, and uh, you know he's playing like the he's playing like a Brownlow medalist, which you know it's I still hard find it hard to believe that he actually is. But such is the case. Was there anyone um, before I, I, I highlight a couple of other people? Your, your thoughts? Uh, I'll go to you, Carl, first. Just being amongst that, a lot's been spoken about it. Dermot Burton said yesterday that it, he has never been amongst an atmosphere like it, where you've got ninety four thousand odd fans, of which ninety thousand are barracking for the one team. You know, it's pre, it's English Premier League sort of stuff, um, like at Wembley. What, what did you feel like being amongst that crowd? Oh, look, it, it was an emotional time. You know, you talk about Mitch, how you didn't know whether or not at the end of the game. You were pretty emotional, as were a lot of Richmond fans. But you don't know whether or not you wanted to cry or not. Like I was a bit the same. With with I was just you know I, I didn't know what to feel. Emotions going on everywhere. We've just progressed to the, our first grand final since 1982, uh, with the hope of winning our first grand final since 1980. And I've never seen Richmond in a grand final in my lifetime. So but, it was just emotional but, times. But the, but the feeling of the the, the, the atmosphere, the, atmosphere, what, what atmosphere it, the, yeah. the noise and oh. um you know what what did you feel like? What did you when you're walking up from because we went, Carl and I went for a beer at the pub at the corner hotel before yeah. and just the amount of people everywhere and what what emotion what emotions and did, did you feel when you're walking up doing the when we're doing the walk up oh, there to the g well uh, look I, i've never I, I i have to admit i'm a melbourne victory supporter so i've i've been a part of the active support and and seen what that's like but it just doesn't compare to seeing your afl club making a prelim final with the hope of going to a grand final like the the nerves were there walking to the MCG but you see how many Tiger supporters there were they were there in numbers and not just on the walk to the MCG but you know at the pubs down Swan Street everybody was up and about everybody was there saying go Tigers let's go Tigers completely outnumbered the GWS supporters let's put it out there they were outnumbered and Look, I was also at the elimination final three years ago when uh, we played Port Adelaide and got flogged. I thought the atmosphere then was great, and that was 52,500 supporters, some of them Richmond, some of them Port, majority Port, obviously, and them singing Never Tear Us Apart. I thought that was incredible. But then I got to the MCG, and wow, it was amazing. It was so loud. And I read also as well, you know, our uh, sounds measured in decibels most of the time. I think it is. Decibels? Yeah, yeah, just DB. DB. Uh, The crowd at the MCG was 122 DB. 
It's not quite the record, but we're, no. we're, we're, we're getting close. That, that's eight shorter than a, an engine of an aeroplane. <laughs> like, that's how loud it was. We did pretty well. Yeah. I reckon... The, the, I did, I'm going to ask you a question to clear up a, a bit of a misnomer that's been doing the rounds of social media in a moment. But the, for, for me, there were a couple of moments in the game where I felt like um, the, the Richmond were getting on top. And um, the, the noise at three-quarter time when the three-quarter time siren went was as if the full-time siren had gone. And there was just this wall of noise and appreciation and people clapping. And um, at that point, I think we were three, we were three goals clear. We felt like maybe we had one hand on our spot in the grand final. And um, there were two key moments, I think, in the space of one another in that third quarter where I went, okay, I think we've got this. And I reckon each, I reckon everyone might have a, a, a different moment where they felt like, okay, we, we're stepping in. And both involved Steve Johnson in about a minute, space of a minute of one another. Steve Johnson takes a mark 40 metres out, finally gets a mark, and he gets his chance for his first shot at goal. The guy's a match winner. Um, in what could have been his what turned out to be his final game of football, wasn't confident having a shot. Handballed off to Nathan Wilson, who puts it out in the full. A minute later, he gets another one, 50 metres out. Again, feels like he hasn't got the leg on it. Tries to do something way too cute, hooks it straight back in, and the noise when that when that ball was turned over was just uh, it was electric. And uh, you know that for me, that was the that was the moment when I went. I reckon we're going to a grand final. What, what was it for you guys? I'll start with you, Shebex. Well, for me, it was the moment that uh, they picked Steve Johnson for the preliminary final. Mm. <laughs> I think I spoke about this two weeks ago, didn't I? I was yeah. praying and, and pleading to uh, Leon Cameron to pick him because he was just always going to be underdone. So effectively, they were two players down with Shield and Steve Johnson on the park because he was just nowhere in it. So you're right. I think... Uh, very pivotal moments, especially that handball. As soon as he got that handball off, I thought, oh, my goodness me. That's when the mental game was won. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they talk about the third quarter being a premiership quarter. How good was that third quarter from Richmond? Well, the third quarter, because our, our pressure hadn't been what it needed to be in that first half. You could see, and I, look, I, I suppose and we might... A bit, of credit, a bit of credit to the Giants for that, too. They had some great runs. They did. As soon as the ball got forward of centre... Did you, 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 just, you could see the numbers streaming around. You just felt like, geez, they're getting space, they're getting yeah. space. And if they keep this up, it's um, you know, it's going to hurt us. They got out to, I think it was a six or seven point lead. And then Daniel Rioli kicked that beautiful one-two goal from 50 metres where he, he took a took a handball. I think it was to Prestia and then he kept going, took it back and put it from uh, on 50. Everyone doubts Daniel Rioli's leg. They go, oh, he's small, he can't kick it. He can kick it. He can kick the ball 60 metres with these. That got us back to, with, to, to uh, within a point. Then we ended up kicking a couple of behinds and got in front. Um. And yeah, you're right. The credit has to go to GWS for their first half. But then, second, that third quarter, the pressure, uh, the pressure um, index blew up. In the second half, our pressure index went to two thirteen, so it topped what we did against Geelong, which is amazing. When you think about it, we'd set the record against Geelong with two oh nine, and then that's what we were doing in two in in the second half. There, um, the game, the game, uh, you know, gets on our terms. Every single little moment, the crowd's cheering it. Um, you know, Rance is plucking marks at defensive, defensive 50. Um, people are starting to hug in the crowd. And, um, you know, we were just waiting for the song. And I, I really, just sitting there for that last 10 minutes of the last quarter, they did kick a couple of goals and got it back to about four goals. And, um, and we, you know, you thought, oh, geez, not. And then Jack kicked, it, kicked his first goal of the game. And it was party time. And you could just sit there and enjoy it. And, um, you know, Shebex, what, what were you feeling at that point? Oh, look, for elation, there was no doubt about it. Just kind of, if I just go back one more step, the other time that I actually felt confident about us winning that game on Saturday actually happened on Friday night when I saw the job that Adelaide did on Geelong 
my, and you guys know how nervous I'd been all through the week in regards to the game. Yeah, about the, about the buy. My, yep, exactly, about the buy and how that was going to affect us. When I saw that that had absolutely no effect to Adelaide, all of a sudden my feelings turned to, hang on, we're actually, we can do this because if this hasn't affected Adelaide, why in the hell is it going to affect us? So I was really a lot more confident Friday night heading into Saturday that uh, that wasn't going to be the case. But my feelings at the end of the game, it was really weird. I just, it was uh, just, yeah, stunned, I suppose, that, that we'd actually got there. The fact that, you know, we're finally seeing a Richmond team get into a grand final. The elation and listening to the the uh, the crowd was just, though, it, it carried you into a new level. I remember being at the MCG a couple of years ago when Liverpool were there. And uh, the, the you know the singing of the song "You'll Never Walk Alone" and the feeling of emotion at that time, yep. hearing ninety thousand, ninety-five thousand people all singing that song together, it was very similar on Saturday, hearing ninety thousand people or eighty-seven, whatever there was, ninety-four, wasn't it? Yeah, ninety-four, two, nine-five, I think it was, it was somewhere around that. All singing the Richmond song and that year, that yellow and black, you've never heard anything like it. Just uh, I was man enough to admit there was just a little. There was a little tear in the corner of the eye. It was just beautiful to be a part of that. It must have been special because for those who who are you, those who don't know, but Shebex is the voice of the G. But you know, being in the not that you do you actually hit the button, Shebex, or not? Like, just let's no, clear that up. No, 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 we do have an audio person, but to keep up uh, tradition and to keep up uh, the folklore, yes, I do. Yeah. Well, so it must be. Everyone spe- seems to think that I do, and everyone blames <laughs> me for it. Now, so let's let's clear up. Let's yeah, clear you up can... the elephant in the room. Yep. The GWS song. Yeah, okay. So what happened was, after every... GWS had that little eight-piece band that were there. And I don't know whether that was trying to create some sort of at, some sort of giant atmosphere because obviously there wasn't going to be any other. So they played their song when the guys ran out and they were playing their song at, after every time GWS kicked a goal. So whenever that would happen, they were mic'd up. Our audio guy lifted up their microphones and he heard the... And that went over the uh, Giants' goal on the screen and all that, and then we played the replay. So what happened was, because they actually kicked a goal after the siren, the audio guy, they, they've played their song, and the audio guy thought, well, hang on, they've kicked a goal, so he's lifted up the fader, hence the reason why the song went out. Yeah, and everyone was thinking, that... thinking at the time that probably it's not the right time to play it because the Richmond song should be played because they've actually won the game. So everyone's thinking, oh, hang on, Shabiki's pushed the wrong button, he's played the wrong song. Had nothing to do with it. I'm glad you've cleared that up because I know a lot of people with, and it, you know, there's a, a lot of people were thinking oh, I was just one bloke down there with a trumpet, and but the fact that it was actually a conscious thing because I, I was convinced it was coming over the PA. I had a speaker above me. Oh, and I'm no, going, did come, yeah, yeah, def- yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Well, I'm glad that's cleared up because everyone was going, oh, geez, what a mistake by the control room. They played the wrong song, and no, it wasn't the case. It was just literally giving them their their the consistency of what they'd done after every goal. Why did they do that though? Why, why, just just to give them. You know, I think I, just, I suppose the tiger in me goes bugger him, like let him, let him, oh, let him rot. Just, just, as, as I said, Carl, I think it was just because there was only going to be a couple of thousand giants people there, so I was trying to create some sort of uh, giants atmosphere when they kicked the goal to try and sort of you know make it a little bit bigger yeah. than what it may have been. And I think that was the reason why it was done. 
Um, two players I just quickly wanted to note, and then I'll throw it over to Carl here. Um, Shane Edwards, I thought, was fantastic. He's a, a, an extremely underrated player in, this, in our whole midfield system. I think we sometimes forget that he's there. And he was fantastic as a link-up player. And we've, we've been calling for his head uh, in various times in the last month as uh, he's the player to go out if we're going to make a change. But Jason Castagna, um, you know, everyone, think, everyone thinks about, you know, is he kicking goals, is he kicking goals? Well, he did hit the scoreboard on the weekend. He almost played as that sort of half, a bit of a centre-half forward role in being that player around there, but he was in, he had um, he had eighteen disposal on the weekend. Did hit the scoreboard, and he was involved in eight uh, uh, eight score involvements, which was only second behind Dusty, who had thirteen, which was some sort of record. So, well done to to Jason for actually. Off the back yeah, of that though, yeah. is that going to be enough to keep him in the grand final team? The Sam Lloyd. Sam Lloyd I mean, was pretty special in the VFL grand was, final, and he has been special for the last few weeks. And he gives you sort of that little bit of an extra height advantage that we are lacking 100% still in that forward line, even though he's not massively tall himself, but he plays as a tall. Is Castagna the man that misses out for Lloyd? It's a great question and, uh, you know, it's a question that the only... uh, We know that Lloyd can rack up the disposals. We know that Lloyd can hit the scoreboard. My question is you know, on his pressure. Has he lifted his pressure in the VFL? And look, I haven't. I probably haven't. I'm probably not one to make that call. I'll, I'll throw that over to you guys. Yeah. Can I just say though, on Lloyd, the most impressive thing from my point of view was the fact that he was able to uh, play like a defensive role as well. Like I, what from my observations of the VFL Grand Final that I saw him play, he'd go down back and he'd get a clearance for us, like kick it forward. Uh, and I did see him doing that early on in the in the scene when he did play in the seniors and the AFL side as well. I think, you know, he's as fit as he ever has been, Sammy Lloyd, and he's just running the ground like there's no tomorrow, to be honest. So, look, do I see Castagna going out for Lloyd? To be perfectly honest, no, I don't. I think um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I've been one to be pretty critical of uh, Castagna across the year, but I just think considering how it's panned out for the whole year, it should just keep the way it is. It's um it's hard to sort of look at dropping him on the base on, on the basis of what Castagna did on the weekend, but you know, as as we say, Lloyd he had thirty five and nine tackles and kicked a goal in the VFL Granny. Um, which is, you know, and he won the best on ground, which which is, might as well be the segue here into the VFL grand final loss, which unfortunately Shebex, as you rejoin us, um the uh the, the VFL Grand Final loss, uh, Richmond going down to Port Melbourne uh, 74 to 70, it's blown up that whole Geelong theory from 2007, yes, 10 years it on. It was the missing link, effectively, that uh, at, because Richmond will win the Grand Final, Dusty won the Brownlow. Everything else would have been completed except for this one thing in the VFL loss. And look, I tell you what, you've got. Take nothing away from Port Melbourne. They were spectacular to the extent that they stayed in the game and the way that they fought to get back into that game and actually do what they did to win the game. From a standalone team with uh, with probably Robbie Nahas in it, I don't know whether that's good or bad for them. Uh, he copped yeah, it from the crowd, Robin Nahas. Did he? What? He, <laughs> forget about booing Delidio on Saturday. There was a massive hatred of Robbie Nahas on Sunday at, uh, at Eddie Head Stadium. Uh, look, yeah, it was, it was a great effort by them. And uh, Richmond had their chances. They certainly did. To, uh, to wrap up the game, but uh, Port Melbourne stayed in. And uh, it's, in a way, it's good. Uh, not that we lost, but it's definitely good that we got to that grand final and a few of the players now have had that opportunity to feel what that's like. And even the senior players have had the opportunity to be in the rooms before the game and all that sort of stuff, so to, to soak up that little bit of atmosphere and that little bit of pressure as well. So, yeah, uh, yeah disappointing. 
I'll tell you what, the disappointment of losing that grand final on Sunday was bad enough. I cannot even appreciate as what it would be like on Saturday, hence the way I felt on Sunday. Because well, I felt gutted on Sunday that we'd lost that, right in the emotion of those last two minutes. And I really felt gutted. And so if we lose on Sunday and there's only a kick in it, it's going to be bad territory. I'd like to think that those players, those senior players from the AFL side who were there watching it, actually draw on that feeling and you know being in the rooms amongst it and going, I don't want to be feeling this like this on oh, Saturday. Sure I will. I don't want to be. Sure you know, and I, you know, I, feel, I do feel for um, you know Ben Lennon. Um, you know, he copped a bit. Some people were giving him a whack. I'm convinced he knew exactly how long was left, and the word must have gone out. There's no time left. So if if we get a mark near fifty, you just we just stop and go back and take the shot because, um, you know, as soon as he did go back, everyone the siren went within five seconds. He did probably rush the kick slightly, but maybe he was just going on adrenaline, and that was going to be the momentum to get the kick there over the line. Um, we, we didn't get it, unfortunately. We were in the Richmond Cheer Squad, which was right behind those goals that he was kicking to. Yeah. And at no point from his walking in to kicking the goal did it actually look like he was going to kick it. He just His body just didn't look shaped right. Mm. And then as soon as the ball came off his boot, it was heading right. And uh, it, at no point was I actually confident that that was going to go through the goals. He just rushed it. Yeah. Ben Griffiths had rushed, uh, took t- you know, on the oh, other side. Well, in the minute goal. before that, he took he took way too long. And in my, men, and in was it Menadju or Taylor? No, it was Taylor Hunt. Taylor Hunt probably, uh, you know, could have been given a free kick twenty meters out from that kick from Ben Griffiths. So Ben Griffiths uh, took a mark on the fifty meter arc in the pocket, um, and then took about fifteen. It felt like an eternity really to wheel around and finally hit up a player. Taylor Hunt was free for for forever. There were a couple of other players just you know. Growing around, eventually bombs this big one long. Taylor Hunt gets taken out of the contest, um, which you know it was probably a fifty-fifty call. It wouldn't have surprised me if they paid it. They didn't, so play on. But um, you know, you talk about missed opportunities, and you know, the, the, I don't think they'll be reliving it to the extent of you know if that happened in an AFL grand final. But certainly, you know, have your time again, and um, you know, credit to Port Melbourne who just kept st- sticking at it. And you know, I do like um, you know, I've got a lot of time for Port Melbourne because they at the start of the year they were rattling tins. They were they were rattling tins for survival. Their players, their players didn't get paid for round one. Yeah, there was absolutely no money in the in the bank to pay their players for round one. So to be able to do that and then come up and win a grand final, absolutely take nothing away from Port. No. That that was just a great effort. Well done to Airsy and the team. But it does mean that we're zipping one for the week in the Clash Jumper, which brings us to the Clash mm. Jumper. Which the AFL, you know, I thought we were going to toss a coin. I thought there might have been, you know, maybe they just make a decision. Uh, you know, maybe they maybe they have a common sense decision, but no, we are uh, just as we're enjoying our celebrations on Saturday night, they stick it to us and say you're in the you're in the inverse jumper, which I don't actually buy. I I, actually, I know a lot of, it cops a lot of criticism, but I think as as a clash jumper, it's about as good as you can get because it's literally just the same colours inverted. But well, now this is exactly right. Let's have a look at this. Let's have a look at this logically, okay? And there's been a lot of illogical talk about it over the last <laughs> week or so. But yeah. let's have a look at it logically. There is as much black in the Adelaide jumper as there is yellow. So there's yellow stripes going all the way around. Well, it's more of a navy blue for them. Like it's a really, it's a really dark blue. With it looks Adelaide. black to me. Yeah. I'm like colourblind. I don't know, but it looks black, and it looks, and they've got the yellow in there as well. There is no difference as to whether you wear full black with a yellow stripe or full yellow with a black stripe. It is going to clash with one third of the jumper, and that's either with black or yellow. So unless they told Richmond to wear a fully white jumper. I cannot understand how this is any different to wearing the black jumper. Do you feel like there's a, an actual clash 
uh, enough of a clash at all to warrant a change? If you get it, like, who are we if you, worried about? Who are we worried about in regards to the clash? Well, according to uh, Gil McLaughlin, there's millions of people watching. If I quote KB, Mil- the, the millions they, of people watching the game. Tell, are pa- so you're telling me that the millions of people watching cannot tell between an Adelaide jumper and a Richmond jumper? Apparently. Oh please, <laughs> Carl. Oh, I've heard some bullshit in my life, but that Finnegan <laughs> takes the cake. Does it actually? And I suppose I. I I can understand why KB's flying the flag on this really hard because no one has worn that jumper more than Kevin Bartlett, and that's what. And so, therefore, you know, to me, no one that jumper doesn't mean as much to anyone as as much as it means to Kevin Bartlett because he's pulled it on over his head more than anyone else. Uh, the question I have is: does does it mean as much to you as and us as the fans that that we we ha- you know on our biggest day of the year of our biggest day in the club's history in thirty five years? that we, we need to be wearing that jumper. You know where it means to me, and sorry, Carl, if I'm jumping in here. That's okay. What it means to me, you go back to the 1966 grand final and see Doc up on the stage holding up a premiership cup for St Kilda in a Collingwood jumper. Yeah, it's, and it's... you see Des Tudnam standing next to him, losing in a grand final with a St Kilda jumper, not holding the cup. That's what it means to me. That You look at that picture and you think, if you were new to the game or you, you think, well, hang on, who won the grand final? Was it Collingwood or Richmond? They look at this jumper and people will think, who has won this grand final? Because people don't recognise Richmond 95, 99% of the year to be wearing that jumper. I think what they need to do, if they've got to wear that jumper during the game, so be it. If, if that has to happen, so be it. But I reckon as soon as the game is over, they need to bring out their proper jerseys if they win so they can wear those proper jerseys up on the stage when they accept the cup. That would be my compromise to this whole thing. As long as they are in their proper Richmond jerseys when they're accepting their medals and accepting the cup, I won't really give a damn about it because at the end of the day, in 40 years' time with my grandkids look at the picture of Richmond winning the 2017 Premiership, they will see a proper Richmond team. If the AFL had half a brain, they'd let Richmond wear their normal strip, their home and away strip. No disrespect towards the AFL, but the fact that they've gone to the extent of saying, you know, the away team has to wear the away strip. What happened a few years ago when Hawthorne, you know, they weren't the the home team? No, sure they uh, the home we're, team. I'm pretty sure West Coast were the higher ranked team. Exactly. And, we're, and the AFL just said, get stuffed. Hawthorne's in its traditional jumper. West Coast are wearing this one. And then have we, if we go... have we seen Collingwood wear? Have we seen Collingwood? Would Eddie Maguire seriously? Would Eddie Maguire stand for this? No. They came to Collingwood this week and they were playing North Melbourne. No, they were. He, he wouldn't. If there's, if there's if there's ever been a clash jumper, it would be Collingwood and North Melbourne, wouldn't it? Yeah, and particularly in the days of black and white, where it is, you know, if we're talking about, you know, it's going to be difficult to see for the TV viewers. Back in those days, in the nineteen seventy seven grand you final, tell it was black and white. You're right; there was no colour. But everyone, but oh. everyone knew who who was who anyway. So, like, I so if it wasn't an issue then, why is it an issue now? I look, I, I I fight the fight on the sake of the fight because I think you know from a from a um you know from a principal perspective, you know, we should be wearing. You know, I don't. I don't think there's a clash really. So I, I don't see why we, why we don't just wear our jumper and wear white shorts and let them wear their jumper and wear their blue shorts, and that should be enough to do it. And the other thing is, the I know they showed some footage during the week of oh, you know, here's the clash. That was from about four years ago when the our jumper, the yellow in our jumper is is a lot different now. It's a lot brighter. It's a lot more fluoro almost. And um, you know, I actually I actually don't see there being an, an much of an issue at all. That said. 
Um, to me, you know, do I am I going to lose sleep over Richmond running out in that jump up? Probably not as much as as other people, but I'm you know I'm disappointed. But I think there's bigger fish to fry, and if, you know I'd hate it to be some sort of distraction for the week of, you know, uh, I, I tend to think if Richmond players pull on a jumper and run out to play a game of football, that to me is a Richmond jumper. But you know, I completely sympathise with those who you know really, really, really want to fly the flag on this, and um, you know, I suppose the. the why not? What, what's gonna? What, what are the AFLs? What would the AFL do if we ran out there and and just wore it anyway? Like, what are they gonna do? Call the game off? No, I find it ten grand, twenty grand, or whatever it might be. But... Oh, do it yeah, exactly. Just exactly. wear white no. shorts, or you know, if that's the solution, wear white shorts with the black uh, traditional strip. That, that, in my opinion, that's probably the solution to it. I don't no, think we. But, ha- no, but the AFL, the AFL can stop this crap. Yeah. From now on, it's just by silly saying that every away team, whether it's a home and away game. Whether it's a final, or whatever. If you are the away team, you have to wear an away strip. And if they make that rule standing now for the entire season, then we live with it and we wear it, and that's fine. But to do it just because it's the grand final, it just is beyond me as to why it isn't an issue for the entire year, and then all of a sudden it becomes an issue for the grand final. Make that ruling now. If you are the away team and they have it in EPL, away teams have to wear white strip all the way through. Make that ruling now. Away team, every home and away game, whatever it is, regardless, if you are the away team, you have to wear your alternate strip. Everyone lives by that, and then we know where we stand. And I think you talk about that that lack of consistency from, from you know, you're talking from season to season, from week to week, from grand final to grand final. If that's the policy, um, the, I think if that was the policy from the get-go, we, you, you, yeah, it sucks, but you'd cop it. But the fact that in recent years, there's been three or four different policies... Um, it's meant that you know, the, from from our perspective, there should be that wiggle room. But clearly, we're being you know put down, and yeah. they're not they're not buying it, and so be it. Um, before we get into stuck into, and this will be the the last thing before we get stuck into the actual game. Um, do you have any doubt? I think it's being announced tomorrow, which is Wednesday at the time. Today's Tuesday. We're recording it. If we do win, the two names being thrown up to present the cup. Tony Jewell or Kevin Bartlett, who would you be supporting to do that? Both, uh, you know, both Richmond icons in their own right. Well, for me, I love TJ. I think he's been he's uh, been a fantastic Richmond man as a player and also as a coach and the like. But for me, it has to be KB. It just could not be anyone else. Could you have both? You could. Well, well, well. KB was the was Richmond's, um, you know, last premiership Norm Smith medalist, and I say premiership Norm Smith because because Morris we only won in eighty two, but he, we didn't win the flag that year. Um, and Tony Jewell was the coach that day, so he's our last premiership coach. So, you know what? If you can't separate them, do it both. I tend to agree with you, Shebex, in that, um, you know, Tony Jewell hasn't got. I love Tony Jewell, but KB's the one with the statue at the MCG. Yeah. So, um, you know, you talk about Richmond icons. You talk about Richmond yeah. legends. You talk about legends of the of the AFL. We've got a living legend sitting here in the room next to us as we record this right now, um, and I think there's no one better suited to present that cup in an antagonistic little bastard that we love him, but he should be the one that we uh, that should be presenting the cup. Correct, exactly. Okay, I got another name to throw in there just quickly. Yeah. What, what about Ian Stewart? Oh, I think uh, yeah. Richo? He, he was our, our last Brownlow medalist before Koch. Um, it'd be only right if he handed but, the yeah, Premiership Cup. Potentially. Yeah, just as an idea. We're not talking Brownlow medals. Yeah. Well, did, did, he, did he present Still, the... I think he presented the Brownlow to Koch last year, though, didn't he? 
might have. Might have, because they had that stupid little, well, not stupid, but that tiny little, little thing. <laughs> that, 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 the, the off the off Broadway uh, the uh, present presentation. Because Croft did it for Sam Mitchell being their most recent one, so that makes sense. That's a stupid idea, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sorry. The KB to present the cup. We're going to start the campaign now. We'll have the posters up out the front of Swan Street here. Saturday, 2.30pm, the 2017 AFL Grand Final, Richmond versus Adelaide, our first one in 35 years. Um, it's going to be a game of their crisp ball movement versus our pressure. Um, what's, your, what's your initial thoughts going into this? It's probably, it's you know, we talk about teams that have been tough to beat this year. Adelaide are, uh, you know, they're finished on top of the ladder for a reason. Uh, I'll start with you, Carl. Yeah, look, uh, my only concern from an Adelaide from an Adelaide perspective is the fact that they haven't played much football at the MCG. Well, I've got their record here. Yeah, they played um, eleven ga- eleven games that they've won this year have been at Adelaide Oval. Yep. Uh, they've I think they've played they've they've played in two wins at the MCG and one draw. If I'm not yeah, two two wins two wins and a draw. So yeah. they they've beat Carlton and Hawthorne there, and um yep. and they had a, and they had a draw with Collingwood, which mm. um that's the game I think that Damien Hardwick will be going back and watching this week, um as if he's looking for how to undo Adelaide. That first half of what Collingwood did did, did to Adelaide, um yeah, granted Adelaide managed to to turn it around in the second half, but they to get out to a nine goal lead against the team that was top of the table, um and a team that now is lacking Mitch McGovern, who was the the key player in sort of being a bit of that turnaround. That's going to be crucial, I think, to, to what Richmond's going to have to do. Because the, the thing that Adelaide does so well is they uh, they punish on turnovers. So they they add, they, they do, the, probably not to the, quite the level we do in terms of pressure, but they pressure, they turn the ball over, they then go up the other end and score freely. And, you know, that, that's something that, that, uh, that we need to be really conscious of. It's something that they did. That's how they got us in the second half mm. against, uh, against them in round six. Mm. And it's certainly something that, um, you know, I think our defense is a lot more rock solid since then. Yep. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. We haven't played them on the MCG this year. MCG is our fortress and we play it like no other ground. It's well, our home ground. But we're 11 and 2 there this year. Yeah. We, uh, we've, and our two losses there were to Freo by two points and Sydney by nine points. So we've been in every game. We've won eleven of of, uh, of thirteen there at the G this year. This yep. will be this will be hopefully win number twelve. Yep. And uh, and you know it's the best attack in the comp versus the best defence, which um, brings me to sort of you know the the, the key matchups that the, their forward line is you know we we love our small dynamic forward line, but their forward line has got it all. It is the best structured forward line in the comp. They've got a couple of big talls. They've got a couple of smalls. Um, and they've got a link up man who's the best link up man in the comp in uh, in Tom Lynch. And, you know, we talk about Walker Jensen, Jenkins, Betts, Lynch, and Charlie Cameron. Uh, Shebex, who would you be sending to Tex Walker, Alex Rance or David Asprey? I think Alex Rance probably starts on him for me. Uh, once again, I think it's going to be one of those uh, let's, let's move guys through him and let's keep guys fresh on him. And I think uh, Richmond did that pretty well on Saturday against GWS. Uh, Who's, oh, who's the guy that kicked three or four goals? Uh, Himmelberg. So... Himmelberg, yeah. So Asprey started on him. He got two, and then Rance went on to him after that. So the good thing is that we've got the ability and we've got the personnel to be able to change depending on the circumstances. So for me, though, I think Rance probably starts on Tex Walker. Best, you know, one of the best forwards in the league. Definitely uh, gets picked up by the best defender in the league, I would have thought. The, the thing that worries me about Adelaide so much is the fact that We've looked at the teams that we've played in the last couple of uh, games in the finals, and there's been one or two players that we've probably spoken about that we had to stop 
to make sure that you know they didn't get on top of us. When you look at Adelaide, though, the list doesn't stop at one or two. It goes into four, five, six, seven, eight blokes that you probably need to be concerned about who can really turn the game for them. They have stars have everywhere, we, don't they? Exactly. And have we got the amount of personnel to be able to do that? Yeah, we have. Have we got the amount of personnel to be able to do that for an entire game? Not sure whether we've actually seen that from Richmond yet in 2017. So I think that's going to be our biggest test. I think in a lot of ways it parallels last year's grand final. And when you looked at Sydney on paper and you looked at the Bulldogs on paper, you went, oh, Sydney, you've got, you know, they've got Franklin, they've got Hanabry, they've got Josh Kennedy, they've got Tippett, uh, they've got, you know, they've got all these stars everywhere. Um, and you looked at the Bulldogs and went, oh, they've got Marcus Bontempelli and, and, you know, a bunch of hard workers. But, you know, I think Star Factor will sort of get over in the end. And the Dogs put them to the sword. So, you know, that that's that kind of the echoes a bit of what we've done. We've, we've got our four stars. And they are, you know, it's ju- they're just about the best. If you were to take four players out of any team and go, who are your best four? They are just about the best four that you could take out of, of any team. It's then... You look at, um, uh, you know, with with with, uh, with Adelaide. You know, they've got the Tom Lynches and they've got the Jake Levers and they've got Rory Laird, you know, Rory Laird, All-Australian. All they've got the, the, the Crouch brothers who've, who've gone to another level this year. Rory Sloan, who was fantastic and, you know, did really well in the Brownlow and started really strongly, but he is susceptible to a tag that we found. Um, you know, t- Josh Jenkins can kick four goals. Eddie Betts is a game, is a match winner. Um, and that's why it's important that, you know, I think that, we can if they, if they all get if they get the game on their terms, they'll put us to the sword and and you know and, and rightfully so. What I see their terms to be is Adelaide are very good at smothering. If they can contain you, then they get the and then all of a sudden you make that mistake. You're right, Mitch. They get the turnover. They score off the turnover. So what I've noticed with this Richmond team though in this final series, or maybe even the week or two before when it sort of started, is that we're very much. Our game plan is very similar to the Bulldogs last year and that we're getting that ball forward as quickly as we can. So we're not, we're not messing around with it in the midfield. We're trying to get it out of the midfield and up forward as quickly as we can, give Jack the opportunity one-on-one before the players get back there. And if not, then the ball comes down. We've got the small brigade they pick up and then they do the damage from there. So the fact that we are moving that ball forward quickly plays against what Adelaide would like in regards to being able to actually smother you and contain you and make you force in the mistake. So I think we've got a, a game plan now suits the ability to be able to, to beat Adelaide. And we saw that to an extent when we were leading in that first quarter, uh, when we played them back in round six or you know earlier in the year, yeah. whatever that may have been, that we moved that ball quickly and Adelaide seemed to be a little bit sort of, you know, uh, all around the place on that. And they then adjusted in the second quarter and adjusted pretty quickly. And hit us pretty hard from that point of view. So I think we've got the game plan to be able to beat them. I think we've got the players to be able to beat them. It's just a matter of everything working for us correctly on the day. I think so. The, the, um, what they did in that second quarter of that game is they started to spread our defence because what we were when when the players would um, when we'd set up and we'd get the ball up our end and we'd pressure it all in. Um, they they decided very quickly that rather than trying to, to go down the guts, they were let's just use the flanks, spread the spread the defenders, and then they can't keep the pressure on. Which you know you look at the, the footage against like GWS and um, and uh, and Geelong the, the fortnight before. There's four, five, six players just humming around the ball like bees around a hive. Um, Adelaide were very quick very quick to be able to um, you know, null- try and nullify that by just getting out to space and making us accountable a bit more. And um, you know, I think you can get away with that in the Adelaide Oval. It's an, it is similar at the MCG, but as we say before, we do it is even uh, you know we do play that system so well, so well there. And you know, I, I think that so, the other thing that might go in our advantage as well is that 
I wonder just whether they're a bit too tall down back. And I think that was the case on the weekend for GWS as well. Is that they ended up having to move Tomlinson out and play him on the, on a wing to um, to try and get the, the right matchup down back. But you know we've got we, you know we, they, they've got um, down back. They've got Talia. They've got Lever. They've got Laird. Um, they've got Hardigan. And I just wonder whether you know against the likes of Riola, Rioli, Butler, Castagna, Caddy. Townsend, whether you know, the, 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 and you know, Dusty when he goes forward. Imagine, you know, Dustin Martin with Kyle Hardigan on him uh, forward is just going to make him, you know, squirm. So, I wonder if that's a, a way to exploit them. Talia will go to Rewald, obviously, and um, you know, Jack, Jack by his own standards will admit he will want to have a better game than he did on the weekend. But um, I, I, if there's a game that I'd love to see Jack break out and, and have a massive one, and it is a grand final. You just get the feeling, don't you, that he's ready? He's true to have a big, big game. My, my concern is, and I agree with you, I think the two blokes will drop back and uh, fill up that gap that Jack loves to run into, and that could be an issue due to the fact that those two blokes may be fairly tall. So this is why I'm still thinking that there may still be a change to come into this Richmond Grand Final team, just to give us that little bit more tallness in the forward line, and whether that be uh, Sam Lloyd, mm. whether that still be, and I've been crying it for the last four or five weeks, whether that still be a Sean Hampson. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Sean Hampson because that's the one I was going to bring up because Sam Jacobs, um, and Choco Williams brought this up yesterday on, on SEN, but Sam Jacobs is potentially the match winner in all this because if he gets a hold of the ruck, he will he will make the Crouch brothers and Sloan uh, win the ball far more easily than you know we'd like them to, and um, he's been doing that in this final series so far. He did it against GWS, he did it against Geelong, um, just putting the ball down blokes' throats, hit outs to advantage, and uh, and away they go. Now you can put all the taggers you want on Rory Sloan and those sort of guys, but if you've got a ruckman who's just doing it at will, um, you know that that might be a key issue. And as much as we've loved Nank, as much as he's been doing a fantastic job, he again. A, a quality ruckman like um, like like Sam Jacobs, where it is going to be all about hitouts. Maybe, maybe we need you know a hitout specialist. And from what Sean Hampson has been doing, he's been doing big things. He'll kill Greg. There's no doubt about that. Greg won't stand a chance against him. Nankervis will, will be very serviceable and will you know win his fair share of ruck knocks. But I think uh, when Nankervis goes to have that little bit of a break. You're nearly conceding the fact that Jacobs is going to win the ruck for about five or ten minutes that Nankervis isn't going to be there. So whether you put in a Hampson, who knows you're going to get a better contest against uh, against him. She was, it, it, yeah, I, I still believe that there's still one change to be made in this game. And it's going to be a really tough situation for the selectors to do that because who's that person that's going to miss out if there is? And how do you tell a bloke, you know, look, you've been fantastic for the last two weeks, but because of team setup, we need this. Always hard for a person to accept that, but I just have this feeling that Thursday night there will be a, there will be one change. I hate to say it, if we do opt for a second tool and bring Hampson in on form, because his form has been quite good in the VFL, and it's good enough, I reckon, to say to the selectors, hey, look, we, we definitely could use a second tool, and Greg, as he said, Shebex is probably not going to do the job if we need to contest a, a crucial uh, ruck contest at some point in the game, which I'm sure there will be a moment like that, and if Greg loses out to it and we didn't have that second ruck there, it would be pretty disappointing if that's what defines the result. So, look, in my opinion, what I would see happening, if anything, would be... Uh, Nathan Broad missing out, and he's been good, and I hope that he doesn't. Or They've all been it, good boys. Yeah, They've all been good, but 
if you're going to make the change, someone has to miss out. Yeah. Well, and in my opinion, it would have to be between Broad and Graham, and I don't see Graham going out because even though he's you know first-year player, he's been outstanding. He was he he probably didn't quite have the tackling pressure game that he's done in the, in his first three games on the weekend. So I, yeah. I I wonder whether he's the vulnerable one. They go maybe he's a he's a kid. Mm. He's, he's he played four four games. Can we trust him in a grand final? Um, to, to to deliver the sort of pressure, particularly if it's going to come at you know, can we rely on everyone else to cover that sort of pressure, and which would allow us to bring in a Hampson to make sure that we can can get first use of the ball. Yeah, that's a big question, and you know, I, you know, just Sam Lloyd's been playing predominantly as a midfielder as well, and yeah, um, but you know, there's there's big questions ahead well, for these guys. If you think about it, if Lloyd comes in and Hampson comes in, and say Broad goes out and or Broad or Graham goes out and Castagna goes out. McIntosh last week played on a wing. What I would see him doing, he can go down half back, play yeah, half play back a bit, rule. play a bit taller. Yeah, he's pretty. He's a bit of a utility. McIntosh, he can go up forward, he can go down back. I'd see him going back and and taking the role that a Broad or a Graham would play with them going out. And even Lloyd, he can actually play off half back. We saw a bit of that in the VFL Grand Final. So yeah, there's some options there. The, the key is, I mean, you know, the, the, I think you then have to look at the defensive setup against Adelaide's forward line, and that, and as we say, has been their strength. So if you're sending if you're sending Rance to Walker and Asprey to Jenkins, you're then probably sending Dylan Grimes to Eddie Betts. Um, because Dylan Grimes is, he can play that shutdown role. The issue then is you've then got Charlie Cameron and, and Tom Lynch to match up, and Tom Lynch can play tall or, or short. So if Camden McIntosh is going to Tom Lynch, that's an area they'll exploit because t- Tom Lynch is that real leck, is that real link up. Charlie Cameron. Yeah, and that's why I wonder. You know, I go broad. Oh, mate, you know he can actually probably play that sort of role. Bash is a bit of a loose player yeah. out of the hub. Vloston's the other one in there who probably who could, he he could go there as well to Tom Lynch. But we do like him rolling off and dropping back as well, which Adelaide don't allow you to do because they just stream forward as soon as they force that turnover. So um, there are some headaches when it comes to the defensive. I wonder whether I wonder whether Sam Lloyd can come in and play as a defensive shutdown role. Is he got the? Can he do that? It's, I don't, you know, I don't like rolling the dice in a grand final. Like, I never thought I'd be saying this, but I, I don't like the idea of, um, you know, that, that, that we might have to change up from what we're doing. I think, you know, maybe we just have to back ourselves in. You'd be better off bringing in Reese Conker. No, yeah, oh, uh, <laughs> don't no, Jesus. no, no. Um, Anthony, uh, if, if, if I suppose it, just just to round out this discussion, if Anthony, My- if, if Koch was to have missed, it would have been between Lloyd and probably Anthony Miles to have come in. Um, Brandon, El- Brandon Ellis can drop back, but again, has he got that sort of real nuggety run with, in a defensive sense, kind of t- kind of um, ability? I'm 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 not uh, sure, but I think we just have to probably back in our defensive system as a whole. And um, you know, if there is if there is one player that's slightly mismatched, then um, so be it. Has it? What's that? Sorry, our defensive structure hasn't let us down yet. No, it hasn't. It hasn't. And you know, if 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 the day is to back it in is the grand final day, and then so be it. Um, before we wrap it up and get get some some tips and um, and keep moving and uh, and enjoy the rest of the week, um, I just wanted to bring one little stat to everyone's attention, which um, it's just a general guide of what Richmond's done this year, and um, you know maybe it's a good omen. But every single team that Richmond has played this year. When we've played them twice, when we lost to them, the, if we lost to them the first time, the second time we got them. So we're very good at learning our lesson the next time around. And I, and and so I look at I look back at our losses to teams that we've then you know gone on and played again. So we lost to Fremantle, it smashed them the next time. 
We lost to St Kilda, smashed them the next time. Lost to GWS, got them again, and then got them again. Lost to Geelong, got them again a month later. This week, we are playing Adelaide for the second time this year, and they beat us I the like first you. time around. I like your thinking. So we've learnt our lessons, and if we follow that trend, then we're home. So based on that, I'm going Richmond by four goals, 24 points. 24 points. Where, at what point in the game, Chubex, do you think we'll be ahead? Uh, I think we'll kick the first goal, and we're going to stay in front all the way through. Beautiful. Carl? I reckon it's going to be pretty evenly matched up until half time. Uh, the third quarter will be pretty competitive as well. And then at the end of the third quarter, we'll just see our legs um, being the fresher ones and getting over the top just a tad. Uh, and then in the fourth quarter, I think we'll just run over the top of them. I think you're right. I think that's going to be the, the, the plan all day is going to be just to grind it out. Don't let it get them on their turns. Keep it yep. a slog. You know, the forecast is that there might be a bit of rain. It's going to be cold. Um, just grind it out, grind it out. And then like it did on the weekend, eventually we break them. So as long as we don't, as long as, as long as we're, you know, if we're in the game at half time. I can. I'm backing in that we're going to run over the top of them. If they if they get out to a quick start, that's going to be the issue. But if it, if 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 we're in that game at half time, it's going to be all ours. And I'm tipping yeah, Richmond agreed. to win by 28 points in the end as a result of that. Norm Smith medalist. Uh, for me, North Smith uh, Norm Smith medalist will be Trent Cochin. Oh, if he's on and he has a good game, I'll say Dan Rioli. I'm going to say Dustin Martin to just complete his trophy cabinet for the year and just <laughs> keep rolling on. What everything then, wouldn't he? Is there anything he hasn't? Uh, I don't think he won the Ages Player of the Year. I think that oh, went to Dangerfield. But um, he's won everything else, including the SEN Tire Power Player of the Year. And he might then, depending on the Gary Ayres medal, which is the other one to, to be awarded. But he certainly, uh, tonight, Tuesday night, is uh, is going to go and accept the uh, AFL Coaches Association Player of the Year. Gentlemen, uh, fantastic to talk and discuss a grand final. I didn't think we'd be in this position, but get out and open training is Friday, 9.45 a.m. I believe they're, they're hitting the track. SEN's going to be broadcasting their live, so get along and then go straight from there to the parade, which will be coming in. I never thought I'd be seeing our team in a parade, uh, but it's, it's fantastic to, to get out and support them. Paint the town yellow and black. Can I also mention yes. that I am SEN's representative at Punt Road on Sunday. Oh, for the for the after, for the for after the match. After, yep, for the uh, presentation of the team and all that sort of stuff, so We'll get heaps of interviews, and that's going to be uh, a fun day on Sunday. I'm looking I'm forward to it. And if you if you didn't if you were unlucky and you didn't get a ticket for this week, um, you know don't don't pay through the through the absolute nose. But if you can if you can find a way to get a ticket, good on you. Go along, support your team because it ain't going to be like last weekend. That was something special. We're going to have mm. a few, there's going to be you know thirty thousand for actual fans there, and the rest are going to be corporate. So we need the actual fans to be cheering as loudly and as and as you know brutally as possible. Again, within reason, but you know just turn it up. Do what we did on the weekend, gentlemen. It is Tiger time. Go, Go Tigers! Tigers! Like the tiger of all, the